it's like with anything. When you're buying something, lots of times you get this long list of lots of words and lots of consonants and lots of verbiage that says, you should know this and you should know that and you should know this and you should know that. All the fine print. The same thing goes with the contractor. When you're signing the contractor, you get all this fine print. But do you need to look at that fine print? And what are some red flags when you look at that fine print that say, wait a second here? Hey, let's build it with Corey Heppola and from Lindus Construction, Andy Lindus. Yeah, I see all this fine print and I'm never quite sure. Do I need to read it? And then what if there's something in there that I have a concern about? Is it just standard practice? What are some red flags when reviewing a contractor's contract, Andy? Um, you know, the, the biggest red flag, uh, the stuff that I get to see on a regular basis, you know, as we meet with more and more people, they've, they've gotten other estimates. And a lot of times they like to show us these contracts. And if there's a lot of uh, crossouts and rehandwriting stuff and changes made to the contract, that's usually, it's not like a giant red flag. But that's a flag to me that maybe all of the details of the job, everything that you've talked about on the job, the scope of work, the way it should be done, aren't uh, maybe as good as they, they could be. Or what I saw the other day, you know, the price started at $9,000 and was crossed off to $7,500, then was crossed off to $5,500, then was crossed off to $4,500, and the scope of work never changed. Mm. That's hugely a red flag that maybe this contractor doesn't have the most integrity and if they don't have integrity up front on the price, what are what other kind of corners are they going to cut when they're doing the job? So th- those those two things are something I see more often than not. The other thing, Corey, is start and end dates. Um, in today's day and age, that should be something that, that you strive for because I know people that are waiting 8, 9, 10, 12 months longer than they anticipated at the beginning for projects that they're working on. These are people that are calling us and be like, hey, Contractor doesn't even call me back. I gave them $30,000 eight months ago and they did part of the job, but now they can't get this material. They can't get that material. What's going on? Um, There should be clear and concise timelines. And when those changes to the timelines happen, there should be a clear and concise process that the contractor uses to communicate that with with the customer. If not, you're kind of in la-la land and you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, handwritten notes on a contract would kind of be a red flag to me like if you have one of those hyphens that says actually it's this like mm-hmm. no i, I kind of want my contract to have um not just vague terms but i want it to be set in stone like this shouldn't be something you're just whimsically writing on yeah there should be like when whenever we do a project the the scope of work is custom built for that project so you're not only you're going to have a contract and, and legally in most states, Corey, there's things that you have to put in the contract about the cancellation period, about down payments, about the, the, the right to be able to fix your mistakes or, or what happens should, should things go sideways at the end. And so most states have things that you have to put in there all the time. In fact, more often than not, if we get in these conversations all the time from customers asking us to change things about our contract, like, no. Our contract is what it is. We've been in business for, you know, since 1979. We've literally never once been taken to the court on on anything. But there's all this stuff in here that that uh, it protects both the contractor and the customer in the long run. So if you just follow your state's guidelines at the bare minimum, usually you're you're in a good spot. And those guidelines are readily available and searchable in, on uh, on the internet where you could find that and compare to what this this contract has.
You brought up you brought up an interesting but, point though on payment schedule, and then also mm-hmm. to start and end date, and and I imagine it's um, it's a little bit more difficult now than than it has been in previous years because of uh, well COVID and, and and then all the the access to products and and all these different things. But so I'm I'm curious on on like from a customer's perspective, how much leeway should they have with somebody? Like if you're putting money down and they say we'll start this time and and end at this time, like how much leeway should you give that company before you say wait a second, there's a problem here? You know, it's going to depend on the situation. If you're getting good communication from the contractor and he's telling you or he or she's telling you why there are delays, um, then I I don't think there's a lot to worry about. Now, if those delays keep happening, it's the third time they've delayed things, then you might want to raise some red flags. But I think one of the best payment schedules that a customer can stick to is a third down, a third at start, and then a third upon completion. So you don't pay the final third until you're 100% happy and everything is done. And that's enough money that'll make contractors show up and, and finish the job. Even if it's only you know, a, you know, a couple hundred dollar fix, something like that. I wouldn't even hold out the $200. Wait until all of it's done. But when you do a third down, third at start. So now they got an incentive to start the job. They have incentive to finish the job. And then that third up front gets you on their schedule faster. So I think that's probably the best way to go. Yeah. And if you had mentioned materials as well, like um, should all the materials, every single thing be listed? Do we, do we need that in the fine print? I went, you know, maybe, you know, the glues and screws and things like that, but uh, no, but, but like the, the finishings and what you're expecting on the project. Yeah. People are going to know the colors that they're going to get, what the end result is going to be. You should have a pretty good picture painted on what this whole project is going to entail from start to finish the process that happens, the underlayments that are used, and what the finishing products that are used. You know, you've given us some great advice, and and a part of that great advice is this. Hey, here's health. Don't cheap out. (laughs) Just don't cheap out. Just don't say like, Hey, you know what? This is this is one dollar extra, or this is one dollar cheaper. Like, it, it, just don't do that because you're going to end up buying it again or, or doing it over again. So do it right the first time, within reason, of course. So I, I say that because what are the tools, Andy? Anyone would know you would know. What are the tools you'll end up buying twice if you go cheap in round one? Well, you know, the, I do have an exception to the go cheap thing. And that's for any half inch, nine sixteenth inch or 10 millimeter socket or wrench, because I don't know, I have five different socket sets. All of them have new 10 millimeter or half inch or nine sixteenth eventually. So anytime I come across cheap nine sixteenth or 10 millimeter, anything, I buy it because it doesn't last long. Now, the things that you can break if you go cheap are usually on the power tool side, uh, Corey, you know, I've, I've owned over the years, probably 11, 12 different brands of power tools. And I can tell you uh, when I was a young man and I was uh, very budget conscious, I needed something. One, the tools were heavier, but they never made it a season. And once I started spending, uh, even like uh, the brands like Milwaukee, DeWalt, you know, there's different lines of tools that they have. And when you go to one of their higher end tools, now you're talking about something for the average do-it-yourselfer. If you take care of it and it doesn't freeze and, and the batteries are being charged on a regular basis, you might have something that lasts 10 years. You, you, you really could. So things like drills, things like saws, all the brushless features that you can get on those motors now too, all of that makes them last longer, makes them more efficient, makes the batteries last longer. I mean, you buy something cheap on the power tool side, on the battery thing, you're going to be frustrated 
more often than not. Um, on the hand tool side of things, uh, I would probably lean more towards like caulk gun or I went through my toolbox mm. and believe it or not, I have eight different wire strippers uh, in there. And it's because I don't like six of them and I just don't throw stuff away. And I bought cheap stuff. You buy it in the kit and it just never does what you want it to do. So then I bought a Klein wire stripper and a Klein snips. And those two tools I've had now, in fact, my brother gave me the Klein snip for Christmas six, seven years ago. And it works just as good as the day I bought it. And it gets a lot of use. My Klein wire stripper, you know, it's weekly that I'm, I'm doing different things around the shop or in my boat or in the house with it. And it's it's doubled as a needle nose, a wrench, a socket set. I mean, this thing is bulletproof. Hold on. So your family gives each other tools for Christmas, even though this is your whole life, like this is your job and they're giving you tools for Christmas? Hey, one of the best things I have going for me is is my two brothers. One, they're my partners in business, all sorts of business. Two, one of them, I think it was my youngest one. And now that I come to think of it, he hasn't lived up to his end of the bargain lately either. But the buy, buy, signs, buy something cool, you buy three of them. Okay, it doesn't matter what it is. If, if it's an awesome deal or something that you're going to use all the time or something that you're just like, God, I, I wouldn't want to live without this anymore. You buy three. And then you gift the other two. And so sometimes I'll just show up at the office and there'll be a tool on my desk, uh, a heated vest one time, a new pair of boots one time. I mean, it was, we've gotten some pretty cool stuff over the years from our brothers. So yeah, no, tools are, uh, I mean, God, look what we do. If we can't get excited and, and have fun buying tools, we're in the wrong business. I just think it's funny that he would know exactly what you needed, that you guys are, it'd be like my sister buying me a new microphone. Like, here you go. Here's a new microphone for your job. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you would be, you know, in, if your sister was in radio, that might be the thing you need. That's true. Well, uh, that's a good point. You'd be very yeah. proud of me though. I did use a, um, a socket wrench the other day. Like we bought, uh, an elliptical, um, the like Facebook marketplace. We went to this person's Some house. Required. Yeah. Well, to get it out of the house, like <laughs> we bought it used. So we had to get it out of her house and then up into our new family van. It didn't quite fit. So listen to me, like this is, this is a big project for me. We get it in the van, my wife and I, and we, we've got the straps in there. So it's strapped, but the door doesn't come down in the van. So we've got to drive like 30 miles, an, not even like 20 miles an hour through the city. And we did back roads because the thing wasn't going to fall out, but still I didn't want, we didn't want to take it too fast, but it was strapped in, wasn't hanging out there. Uh, I did talk with state patrol this week and they said you would not have been ticketed. So I'm fine there. But we got it back and then we had to put it back together and together we were able to accomplish this. And now it's in the garage waiting for you to come over and help and get it in the basement. And get it in the basement. Does it work? It works. Yes. We've worked. Even we've better. used it every single day. So no parts um, and no parts left over. Nope. And, and smartly, my wife put them into baggies. She's like, okay, when we took it apart at their house, we kind of knew, okay, it's easy just to put these few pieces back together. But these are the, um, these are the, the um, utensils that are needed for this side. And then these uh -huh. are the, the tools and the screws that are needed for this side. And then we, we labeled them in baggies left and right. And then, uh, and then there you go. We were able to do it smartly and efficiently is, is the there other point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. The other thing I wanted to ask you about tools. Hey, here's what's trending. And you may have already answered this, but the other thing I wanted to ask about tools just, you know, name a couple. What are the tools that every homeowner needs in their arsenal? 
Oh, um, wire strippers is, is definitely one for me, a, a good side cutters or snips, um, for a, a variety of things, a, you know, um, when it comes to power tools, you can get a lot done with a multi-tool and a good power drill. That multi-tool has sanding blades, has blades that can cut, you know, if you, you can use it just like a, a circular saw on a piece of plywood. You can make a nice straight four foot long cut on on quarter inch plywood pretty easily with it i have and i i've you know this wood behind here was basically installed with a a nail gun and that multi-tool was the number one saw that i used so if i had to pick two power tools to to, to be able to go after almost everything project the multi-tool the, or the oscillating saw uh as some call them and then a good brushless power drill yeah. And I would, I mean, we're assuming that everybody has like a hammer and nails. I mean, that, yep, I think yep. everybody would have that. Exactly. And, and, uh, if they're like me, there's a lot of tools that can turn into a hammer in a pinch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do I have around me that I could use yep, to power yep. this thing, this thing in here? The, the, the drill that you have with a dead battery is usually not a good option for that, by the way. We got a, yeah, we got a new power <laughs> drill um, because it was a little bit smaller. The one we had was larger. And so mm -hmm. my wife's like, it just doesn't fit into this smaller area that I need for this one. So I, I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, really, do we need another one? But I, I actually, she was right. We did. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have both the, the, the bigger Milwaukee one and then the M12 model. So a little smaller yep. drill. That's the one. And, uh, yeah, just just uh, it makes it makes stuff happen. Yeah, from somebody that has never done any of this stuff, it uh, I'm always like, wait, do we need that? And then it turns out we always do. Um, but I've learned so much from this and from you. Hey, here's a pointer, Andy. What do you got for a tip? So that time of year, nights are going to happen faster. I've been running into I don't know if it's just because it's a dry out or what, but bugs have been killing me this year. My, my truck, I can't keep it clean. I've gone through more bug and tar remover because of the road construction that's happening this year than, than, than I ever have. And I finally decided to work smarter, not harder. And I got this little buffer pad. It works almost like a magic eraser on my Milwaukee M12 drill. Mm -hmm. And I, this one is just made for buffing. And so I sprayed the bug and tar remover on there. I run this over. It literally, don't pressure. It takes me an extra 30 seconds. And then I can spray it off with a hose and not even have to break off the pressure washer that, that it works that well. And it's, it's saved that much time. I'm like, I don't know why I bet you this year alone, if I'd have gotten it early in the year, Corey, we're probably talking three hours of my life mm. would have been saved on this little $120 grill. So it, for me worth it. Okay. So like if you have bugs on your car, it'll clean it off quicker. It, it's not, is it you, can you use it as a preventative tool? Um, well, what I've been doing is after I do the bug and tar remover, I take a spray wax and I put it on and I change the head of the buffer and I go on with the spray wax on that and then take it off with a microfiber. So the bugs then are easier yeah. to come off. But when you have trailers like we do and everything, we want our stuff to look nice and we don't want to show up at somebody's house with bug mageddon on the front of our, you know, vehicles. We're going home at night and we live out in the country, a lot of us. So, I mean, you go through a, a swarm of whatever. And it, 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 it can, one, it can take away from the paint. I've had it peel like paint off of my, my trailers and I'd like them to last a little bit longer than a year. Yeah. No kidding. I totally uh, can empathize with that. We were driving home from uh, Ottertail County at like nine, 10 o'clock one night 
and um, just driving that, you know, two, three hours uh, to our home, the, the, the Jeep was filthy, just filthy yeah. with bugs because late at night, you just get swarmed by them. Yeah, not fun. You drive at night, you're going to end up with bugs everywhere. And I get my truck now has a white bumper. What a just a dumb idea. The, the, the chrome seemed <laughs> to blend in the bugs a little bit more than the white bumper. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know how long that's going to last. Yeah, it's like spilling coffee on yourself. You see it every time. Andy, all right, thanks, man. Thank you.